Well, good morning. This morning, we're going to continue our series on the seven last words of Jesus from the cross. And uh, I want to apologize that we should have started this series a week before Lent, I guess, because apparently uh, there's no sermon on Thursday night and no service here on Good Friday. So uh, my plan to preach on the last word of Jesus will not happen. So, but that's okay. So today we're going to look at the sixth word, the second to last word. I'm going to read from John chapter 19, verse 28. And I think I just, yeah, right to the, uh, pretty much to the end. So this is what we read. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus says, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled Not one of his bones will be broken, and, as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. This is the word of the Lord. In his book, uh, Messengers of God, Holocaust survivor Eli Wiesel talks about what he considers the major difference between Judaism and Christianity. By comparing the two mountains that are the most important or significant to each of them. For Judaism, it is Mount Moriah, where Abraham bound his son Isaac, his only son, whom he loved, and laid him on a bed of kindling wood. For Christianity, he writes, the mountain is Golgotha where another father bound another son to a deadly piece of wood. The difference between the two religions, Wiesel says, is that in the Jewish story, the father does not kill the son. But in the Christian story, he does. And for that reason, Wiesel says, he is eternally grateful that God made him a Jew. But Wiesel misunderstood what happened on Golgotha and what we remember of the events of Good Friday. For one thing, it was not God the Father's will that put Jesus on the cross. It was his own. At any point along the way to Jerusalem, Jesus could have avoided the cross. He could have Stop being so uncompromising in his teaching. 
He could have stopped operating in the open and gone underground. He could have stopped being an activist and write some books instead. He could have stopped helping others and helping himself instead. And Jesus was certainly not incapable of defending himself. Remember what he said to his disciples when soldiers came to arrest them. Do you think that I cannot call on my Father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? That's 1,200. It was not that he could not save himself, but that he would not. Because that was not who Jesus was. Jesus was put to death for being completely who he was. The Son of God, the Messiah sent by the Father to teach and live God's truth and grace, which so offended the world God loved that we nailed him to a cross. The other thing that we saw misunderstood in comparing the two stories of Abraham on Mount Moriah and the awful events of Good Friday is that he was making the wrong comparison. Jesus on Golgotha is, of course, not the equivalent of Isaac on Mount Moriah. Jesus is the equivalent of the ram that Abraham sacrificed instead of Isaac. He is the Messiah who willingly became the sacrifice so that all the sons and daughters of Abraham, those who believe in and belong to Christ, might go home forever free and forever forgiven. That is the gospel we here proclaimed when understood correctly in Jesus' second to last word on the cross. It is finished. It is finished. It is a word you could read, as some do, as a word of surrender. Taken by itself, just three words in English, only one word in the original Greek language, it could be read as a sad but very human cry of weakness and defeat. While it took most victims far longer than three hours to die on a cross, Jesus had been fighting quite a battle already throughout that whole past night and morning leading up to his crucifixion. But now Jesus has relented, he has given in, he has given up. He tried his best, it just wasn't good enough. Too bad, too sad. And you know, there can be virtue in surrender. Fifteen years ago, for example, I bought a used car that needed $500 worth of repair work within two weeks. Fair enough. It was an old car. Within a month, it was back in the shop. I was out another $1,000, the price I'd paid for the car. Eh, okay. Less than a month later, I was told I'd need a rebuilt engine. The estimate was $2,500. I was dumb enough to say yes. The total bill, $3,800. Within a year, the car was gone because its frame was shot. I know, do you really think you have to tell me? I should have taken my losses, said no to the rebuilt engine. I did not understand the virtue in surrender. It's the same with relationships. 
You may remember a number of years ago, during the height of Oprah's popularity, she heavily promoted author Greg Behrendt and his book entitled, He's Just Not That Into You. Whatever the value of the book, most reputable critics didn't give it a whole lot. There comes a time in some relationships when it is smart to admit that he or she just isn't that into you. Time to move on. Some think that is what Jesus is doing here. It was a good campaign while it lasted. He gave it his best shot. But now it's finished. The end. Go ahead. Check his pulse. Stick his spear into his side. He's dead. The struggle is over, and his last words that the Gospel of John records are, it is finished. But if that were true, there would be absolutely no point in our being here today, would there? It would have been end of story 2,000 years ago. So what is finished? Well, then perhaps the most obvious answer is that the dying is finished. And what a horrible way to die. There was no attempt to make execution a little less painful at all, since that would have ruined its use as a deterrent. The whole point was to make it hurt as much as possible, and everybody agreed that death by crucifixion was the absolute worst. Some were crucified upside down, others were impaled through their private parts, some were nailed to their crosses, others were tied. The first century historian Josephus called crucifixion, and I quote, the most wretched of deaths. Jesus was nailed to a cross right side up, which means he probably died of suffocation as his arms gave out and his lungs collapsed under the weight of his sinking body. Though blood loss is another possibility, of course, heartbreak is a third. Whatever it was that finally killed him, it came as a friend, you can bet. It came as a friend and not as an enemy. It isn't death, after all, that is painful to the one who dies, is it? It is the dying that can hurt so much. Another thing that was finished in the words of professor and preacher Barbara Brown Taylor, was the project he had begun way back when he first saw what kind of an explosion it would take to break through that thick rock around the human heart that prevented us from either receiving or giving love, whether in relationship to God or each other. Teaching wasn't going to do it, nor prayer nor the laying on of hands or anything else. If he was going to get through, he had to use something stronger than all of those. And he had to stake his own life on its success. Otherwise, why should anybody believe him? The dynamite that he chose was self-denying, self-annihilating love. Greater love has no one than this, he said. Than that he lay his life down for his friends. Having explained this to his friends, he then left the room to go and do it. Less than 24 hours later, it was finished. There was another thing he finished, 
while he was at it. And now we're getting a little closer to the heart of the matter. He finished off the religious system that he had opposed throughout his ministry. Not the Judaism of the people, but the Judaism of the temple. The careful division between clean and unclean. The whole idea that a lamb or, or a ram or, or a calf or, or any other animal was an acceptable substitute for a surrendered human heart. The Old Testament prophets had challenged religion as outer show only while nothing really changed inside long before Jesus did. But he received no better hearing than they. In fact, there were two bloody places in Jerusalem that first Good Friday. There was Golgotha and there was the temple. At the same hour that Jesus died, the parade of Passover animals into the temple began. For the rest of the afternoon, their owners slaughtered them while priests caught the blood and poured it over the altar. Both Golgotha and the temple were attended by powerful religious people who believed they were doing God's will. And just so you don't misunderstand, this isn't only about the Jews. This is about powerful people in any religious tradition who believe they are doing God's will. Focusing just on the Christian tradition, from the horrible abuses of the Christian church in the Crusades, to the horrific sexual abuse within the institutional church by pastors and priests that have been exposed in our time, to the Christian nationalism currently promoted by many these days south of the border, wherever and whenever you mix power and religion, you better be very, very careful. When it was all over on Golgotha, some realized for the first time who the scapegoat that once symbolically carried the sins of the people into the desert had been. And the system that put him to death, the system that existed to protect the system rather than to protect God, as if God needed our protection, was doomed. Jesus was the very last Lamb of God who would die for the people. Which brings us finally to the heart of the matter. John's gospel provides the clue to what it is when he introduces the beginning of the end for Jesus with these words. Later, knowing that all was now completed. What is finished, that is, is Jesus' work on earth. From the very beginning, it is clear that he was a man with a mission. Even as a boy of 12 years old, he knew somehow, as he told his earthly parents, Joseph and Mary, that he had to be about his heavenly father's business. When he began his public ministry at age 30, it is John the baptizer who identifies the mission for which the Heavenly Father had sent his only Son into the world. In the well-known words of John's Gospel, when Jesus came to John to the Jordan to be baptized, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Look, the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sin of the world. While he was on the road with his disciples one day, Jesus told them, I have a baptism to be baptized or to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. Well, back then, neither they nor we knew what he was talking about. But now we know. He was talking about his death. He was talking about the sacrifice of his life for the sin of the world. It is finished. Is a word of completion and achievement. Jesus has fought the good fight. And despite what the soldiers, the politicians, and the howling mob before him think, despite even what his own disciples think, he has succeeded. He has done it. He did not say, I am finished, but it is finished. His work is done. Surely, wrote Isaiah centuries before, he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken, stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to its own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When Jesus uttered the words, it is finished. The price for your and my sin had been paid in full and his suffering was over. All that separated us from God, all that misery that began in the Garden of Eden because of the tendency in us to want to be equal to God, because of our sinful rebellion, our sinful pride is now addressed not with his words, but with his life. The moment he died, each of the other Three Gospels tell us the curtain to the holiest place in the temple, that curtain separating a sinful people from a holy God was torn from top to bottom. The way to God is now open again. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It is true that he prayed in Gethsemane that this cup might be taken away from him. He did not want to die. And yet when it became clear to him that this was indeed the only way that we, that sinners, could once and for all be reconciled to the God and Creator and the source of life, the Son who was one with the Father, one with the Spirit, went to the cross. He endured it all, the blows, the insults, the shame, without avoiding any of it. All of that is finished. Though his completing work is invisible to us, all we can see from here is the horror and the blood, the defeat, the death. Though we look on his cross and see nothing but the last, the end, the loss, Something wonderful and glorious is being worked out despite us. Paul put it like this to Christians in Corinth. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I can try to explain that until the cows come home, but we are not meant to figure it all out. We are only meant to sit here and behold it. We are only meant to sit here and understand that there is no need anymore for any of you to be so desperately busy trying to get yourself right with God, trying to get yourself close to God. No need for you to do anything to be loved by God, to earn God's favor. No need for you to do anything but just sit here in the silence that surrounds that cross for three hours and watch Jesus do it for you. As he says, it is finished. And then dies. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus has now finished the work that God began with us so long ago. Having created us Having loved us in so many ways, God was determined to get back to us. And now he has. It is finished. He has done what we could not do. Because we could not get up to God. God climbed down to us, down to our level. And here in the bloody, unjust crucifixion, we have at last descended to our level. God has finished what God began. It is finished. So, what is now to be done by us? Nothing. What are we supposed to do for God before nightfall now? Nothing. What are we to be busy doing for God in the coming week? Nothing. Jesus said... It is finished. The difference between heaven and hell, you see, is believing that it is finished and still thinking there is something left for you to do to be accepted and loved by God. Another work to be done, another good to be accomplished, another problem to be addressed, another responsibility to be met. The New Testament letter to the Hebrews tells of that great high priest in the heavens who, when he had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, sat down at the right hand of God. Now, come on, most priests are supposed to be busy, doing good, trotting back and forth from the people to the altar, sacrificing, working, conducting services, contributing to our relationship to God. But this great high priest, Jesus, when he had done it all, says Hebrews, so to speak, of course, sat down. He sat down because it was finished. Nothing else, nothing more to do. It is finished. And all you have to do is nothing. All you have to do this day is sit down, be still, and know that he is God. To be quiet and simply adore the wonder of his finished work on our behalf. Do we busy be sinners, however? So busy with our spiritual practices, our religious rites, our purpose-driven churches, our moral achievements, 
our guilt-ridden efforts to please God and others, do we know? Do we understand? Do we truly believe? Listen. We who are told by our culture over and over, you are what you do, that you have to do something or be someone to be valued, loved, respected, accepted. Listen. We who live in a culture hell-bent on achievement and competition, on being a cut above the rest, afraid of being forgotten, of feeling average, of going unnoticed. Listen, it is finished. In the words of writer and preacher Frederick Buechner, there is nothing you have to do. There is nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. That is what we call grace. A difficult word to preach because we experience so little of grace in our dealings with the world and in our own smaller worlds in which we live our days. But hear this well. All we frantic, spiritual, busybodies and anxious, purpose-driven do-gooders, that business between us and God that began in the garden in which we first chose our wills over God's will, in which we rebelled and never looked back. This bloody business in which we, down through all the ages, always turn away from God, that has been fixed, that has been finished. This decisive Good Friday. The bad news is, we run up debts that cannot be covered by any of us. The good news is, the debt is paid. Christ paid the debt in full for you, for everyone who only believes, and so you shall not perish, but you shall have eternal life. It is finished. And so while the last time Jesus addressed heaven from the cross, it was, my God, my God. The next and the last time Jesus addresses heaven, it is, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Father, even your Father and mine, because it really is finished in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for Good Friday. Thank you that Jesus did it all for us. Thank you that it is not a matter of doing for us. It is a matter of done. What Jesus has done for us. And so, Lord, we may live lives of freedom, lives of gratitude, lives of service, because it is done. Help us, Lord, or help that message to sink deep into our hearts and lives so that the Christian faith may be what it is meant to be, that Jesus' goal for it all may be accomplished, that we may have joy and have it to the full. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. 
You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.